Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we discuss, educate and talk about industry news and hot topics, company reviews and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International. With a career covering nearly two decades, Mining International partners with new and junior miners and larger predominant players in the market. With no further ado, here is your host, Rob Tyson. Hi, mining community. Welcome back for another episode of the Dig Deep, the Mining podcast. Um, And today's guest is David Patterson, um, an experienced management consultant who helps clients to develop corporate strategies with particular particular expertise in problem problems involving complex repetition issues. Um, with what is happening in the world with this uh, coronavirus um, or COVID-19, I thought it'd be good to have David on the podcast after he reached out to me um, as he wanted to talk more about the importance of communications in a crisis. Um, so I think it's appropriate time um, to have David on the podcast and hopefully you, the audience, would take note and action on some of the points raised. Um, so with no further ado, I want to welcome David Patterson. How are you doing, David? Very well, thanks, Rob. Uh, thanks for uh, um, thanks for thanks for talking. Yeah, no worries. I appreciate you uh, taking your time up uh, to do this podcast. Obviously, I'm in the UK and you're in Melbourne, so it's early mm. early in the morning for me and later in the day for you. So really appreciate your yes. time. Um, just want to wonder if you can sort of give um, the audience uh, an overview of your background, um, mm-hmm. maybe when you from when you left school, how your careers developed to where you are today, so the audience knows a little bit about yourself. Yep. Yeah. Sure. Well, this after um, after school, I went to university. I I did a couple of years of an engineering degree, and then. Uh, studied economics at uh, at Monash Uni in in Melbourne. While I was doing uh, economics, I joined uh, CRA, which is one of the um, predecessors of Rio Tinto, um, as in their economics department, and uh, continued on there after I after I graduated. Then I went through a range of roles around economic analysis, business analysis, working at mines and understanding modelling and, and costs in, in the business. Um, and then I, I went back to back to uni a, a, a little while after that, did an MBA, and then I joined uh, Rio Tinto's Exploration Group, firstly here in Australia, and then I went to the UK doing you know, commercial work for Europe and Europe and Africa region. Um Returned back to Australia after that and worked in Rio Tinto shipping, so at the other end of the value chains. Um, and, um, yeah, so worked there, then went back to the UK and worked in in business evalua- in the business evaluation department, which is where Rio does all the both M&A uh, transactions and it also does, um, uh, you know, reviews all of the, uh, major capital expenditure projects in the in the group, so that was you know sort of a great experience. After that, I had a, I, I came back to Australia and worked in Rio's uranium division and in a strategy role, but it was also responsible for external affairs, which is all of the government relations, media, communities, all of that sort of stuff. 
and that was sort of a really you know interesting role because obviously with uh, being um, a uranium producer, there was a lot of uh, controversy around the business and it had a very difficult history in terms of its relationship with the local Aboriginal community. And it was you know very much in the in the glare of of public attention. Um, so I spent about six years doing that, and then I took up a similar role in Mongolia with with Rio at the OU Tolgoi. Uh, business initially as the country director for for Rio, but then once we got management of the of the um, OU Tolgoi business, I joined the executive team there and was responsible for external affairs and um, and regional economic development. Shortly after that, I left Rio and then uh, I I then took a role in Zambia with Vedanta at their um, Concola Copper mines yeah. uh, business uh, doing local economic development and again very much engaged with uh, with all of the complexity around uh, you know a, a controversial business um, so yeah and then, and now I'm uh, and now I'm helping other people um, through my consultancy to, to deal with these complex reputational issues that arise and uh, you know one of the reasons I was attracted to move into this space was that as a I guess as an economist and as a business analyst, I could see there was an enormous amount of corporate value tied up in the reputation of a uh, of a company. And even though it's intangible and it's difficult often to uh, to, to manage, it's uh, it's imp- it, you know it's vitally important for the ability to expand a business or to uh, avoid unforeseen disruptions. Um, it's really important that you've got a a strong relationship with all the stakeholders of a, in a company. Yeah. Um, so obviously you work work as a consultant now. What sort of services do you provide as a consultant to the mining industry? Well, the, the core of the consulting is around you know, what I've described there in terms of understanding social and political risk and working out strategies to, to deal with that. Um, one of the one of the key premises that I've got is that if you look at mining businesses that are shut down prematurely, it's roughly half and half between those where it's a technical risk that causes them to close down early, and another half is around social and political risk factors. The difference is that there's an order of magnitude difference. The resort, there's enormous resources thrown at mitigating technical risk. A lot less is directed towards social and political risk. And so I see that there's an important space there in the market to deal with those uh, with those issues. And it's more than, I guess, in the past, people have had fairly perhaps simplistic approaches to dealing with public relations and things like that. But I think there's a lot more science gets thrown at these questions these days. And you can see it in the mining industry where we now have a lot more uh, social scientists working in um, mining businesses. Certainly Rio Tinto has been at the forefront of doing a, a much more enlightened approach to dealing with land-affected people and particularly Aboriginal communities in Australia. So that's the, that's the space that I'm um, I'm most focused on and most passionate about these days. Yeah. Um, what I want to go on to now is obviously the coronavirus, and it's right amongst us now. 
Um, here in the UK, we are sort of on lockdown now, and I think you guys will be uh, fairly soon, if mm. not already. Um, yep. What challenges do you see the coronavirus having on mining companies? And I suppose if you can, obviously, you're, you're probably focused maybe in Australia at the moment, but if you can give us, I suppose, a, a worldwide overview, um, because yep. obviously countries probably will follow will follow each other and follow suit, um, although it's delayed between companies. But I, I imagine we're all heading in the same direction anyway. But what, what challenges do you see this on mm-hmm. mining companies immediately and moving forward? Yeah, well, listen, I, I'm sure that every mining company in the world today is in crisis management mode and looking at their businesses and looking at the supply chains and looking at their customers and their employees and so forth. So I think it's very important, particularly the angle or the the issues that I'm interested in around how do you communicate effectively in a in a time of crisis. And because if you do it badly, it can, you know, irreparably or significantly damage the reputation of a company. On the other hand, if it's done very well, it's actually possible that you can strengthen those relationships with communities and other other important stakeholders um, during during this time. And I think um, so. I think it's important for companies not just to be focused on those very core disciplines around their business in things like how we're going to get our. Uh, um, supplies, the inputs to our business, how are we going to get our product to our customers, how are we going to keep our workforce um, um, engaged and, and and at work, we've got to think a lot about the stakeholders as well and how we're communicating. Um, I think it's important that um, that we all recognise as, as leaders in the industry that people are anxious everywhere and they're looking for... Um, assurance where there can be assurance given um but you know we shouldn't underestimate the anxiety amongst employees amongst suppliers amongst uh, customers and amongst stakeholders like communities and governments about about what is what is happening i think there's a real opportunity for mining companies particularly in i mean i found this working in places like mongolia and zambia that um actually mining companies often have very good resources that even governments don't have close to their operations. They might be hospitals, they might, or it may not be anything as obvious as that. There's just other facilities that they have and assets that they have around their operations where sometimes those can be turned to good use in the community, really with the company seeing itself as a, as a good neighbor to the, to the people that, that live nearby. And I think, I think it's well worth companies thinking about how they might um, extend a hand of um, you know of friendship or good neighbourliness to their uh, to the affected communities around them. Yeah, certainly. Um, I mean, I didn't think of things like that. That obviously, especially especially mining towns that have been developed because of a mine being being um, formed there. Obviously, yeah. if it's pretty, if there's a, maybe a few mines or one huge great mine. Um, there will be like those med- medical facilities, for instance, um, and other amenities for that local community. So, yeah, I suppose they can give a helping hand to people that are, I suppose, pretty close proximity to that to that site and amenities. 
Yeah, no, I think we've seen it during in Africa during the um, you know both the AIDS crisis and also the uh, Ebola crisis, where um, mining companies are often in a better position than than governments to to help the communities around them. And 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 again, I think that's one of those things. Clearly, you've got to focus on. Um, the reasons that those facilities are there for the for a company's workforce, but there is a real opportunity to um, help relieve some of that those humanitarian needs, and I think you can be quite sure that people don't forget those sorts of things when um, when a, when a company assists them at a time at a time of need. Yeah, certainly. Um, obviously, mining operations seem seem to be obviously continuing operations as we speak um what measures should they be putting in place during these times obviously with mm. flying with flying fly out rosters for instance it seems every country is or has already or is about to close their borders so i know obviously mm. i've spoken to um some candidates and even clients that are ready to go on their r and r um and unfortunately they've got to stay put um because obviously flights in and out of those airports in those countries um, have either been stopped or about to be stopped. So, um, yeah. yeah, what measures should uh, should mining companies put in place yeah, yeah. in operations? Well, I guess I guess every every company is going to have their own specific uh, situations that they're dealing with. I, I was talking to. A company just yesterday that's got operations in in Western Australia, and they've got issues with with FIFO workforces that you know where their home base is outside of the country, yeah. and obviously people are going to have to deal with the specifics of those situations as the local laws and or, or restrictions are, are being being put in place. But I think you know I think and clearly there's a lot of uncertainty and anxiety and, and you, I can certainly see it in Australia where you know the governments are making announcements to the best of their ability but people are left with questions that are unanswered because people are working things out as they as they as they go along yeah i think one of the things that companies can do is is to um and this is a bit counterintuitive at times but in order to maintain the trust that they enjoy with their stakeholders and communities and governments i think transparency is really important so while there's a desire as a as a leader in a mining company to project a sense of calm and everything's under control at the end of the day everything's not under control and generally in my experience people don't believe you if you tell them that everything's under control yeah now that doesn't mean that you have to you know you know open up all of the complex issues that you're juggling but i do think that it's worthwhile expressing something in the company's messaging that says listen there's some complicated issues here that we are still working through and we don't know all the answers but you know we are we are working through these these things uh, step by step for example you might have um suppliers that are worried about if they're going to get paid if there's a cash flow crisis well yeah. In my view, there's no point in denying that there is uh, cash flow pressures. You might as well be upfront about that and 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 let people know that that there are problems yeah. and um, give them some assurance that yes, we are actively managing these issues rather than keeping them in the dark until you've got a a, 
a perfect finalised answer because I think what that does is just create a sense of anxiety and people start to then imagine the worst if they if they're not being kept informed. Yeah, certainly, um, and especially with obviously I suppose talking about this coronavirus, things are changing daily. So yeah. any plans that you put in place could then change in a matter of that day based on what maybe the yeah. governments are uh, uh, maybe imposing, for instance. So, again, how would you manage that? Or is it just being up front mm. all the time and saying, look, this is what we're doing at this time. However, later today, this could change because of yeah. Yeah. other other influences outside of our control that are changing. Well, one one thing I think that is always helpful is that if you've you, if you've got a core group that are managing through the crisis to make sure that they are meeting together, whether it's sometimes ideally they're meeting in the same room, but if you've got operations that are, are dispersed, it'll it'll have to be done via you know telecommunications. But I think it's important that there's regular meetings. You know, certainly once a day, maybe it's more than once a day, as so people can keep informed and up to date on what the what the latest situation is. Yeah. Um, I think that you know when anyone that's been through a, a major crisis will understand this that the information is always dodgy. There's always things that you get told at one point that prove to not be true, yeah. or, and and you're constantly having to get new information, better information coming in, and you've got to be ready to change course on the basis of that information it's the it's the sort of fog of war that that goes on that it's getting good reliable information is not always possible and you just have to manage through what you've got but that makes it critical that you know that the core group is being kept up to date with what the latest the latest situation is even though they're having to go off and and do things and manage things um in, in between those those meetings. Yeah. I mean, it goes on to my next point. Um, I mean, how do you deal with the confusion um, that arises from uh, shifting information and uncertainty around facts? Obviously, if you just look at social media, the amount of stuff people are putting out there, I mean, I mean, what, what do you believe, to tell the truth? Um, I, and, and again, I suppose sometimes if you look at the news, which I don't tend to watch too much news because I think it's always mm-hmm. pretty biased some of the time. Um, but, mm. but what do you, what do you believe? Cause I think there's a bigger thing happening here. Um, but yeah, how, how do you, how do you deal with mm. all this confusion? Well, I think, I think there's a few, there's a few things you could do. As I say, part of it is to make sure that the core group of, of people involved in leading the, the company through the crisis are keeping well informed and they have regular opportunities to meet and to provide their input back into the group and to make sure that there is a, a sort of a, a central group that that holds as much of the information as possible. Something like a, a war room or a central communications room is important where it might be as simple as things being you know, notes being kept on whiteboards or, or up on, on the walls so you know the latest information. I've found it always very useful to have within whatever sort of communications team you've got to be developing a set of question and an- questions and answers that are, are regularly being updated. So if, for example, that the CEO needs to speak to a journalist, you know, you've got a, a – you can quickly pull together – 
um, an assessment of the current status of, of different issues. And I think that can then help you if you're communicating to your workforce that each of the, you know, the operations managers have got a, a script that they can work off so that the same story is being told to everyone across the country, across the company, because there's no doubt it becomes very easy if things get disorganised or dissembled that and that one person is saying something that's contradicting what another person is saying. And, and certainly in this world, of in, in this era of social media, that can very quickly be brought together by somebody else that spots the anomalies and it, it's very, uh, very confusing and very destabilising for people to, to see that the company might be saying different things to different people. Yeah, certainly. Um, obviously, communication is important, especially during a crisis. But um, if you had to identify three import, important points um, about communications during a crisis, i.e. with the crisis that we're in at the moment, um, what would they be? Yeah, well, I think, listen, I think there's, um, there's, there's a few things there. Firstly is the point, I think, that... Um, as I've already touched on, is that, you know, a company's reputation is one of its most important assets and and trust is, is at, the, at the centre of that reputation. So it's important that um, that, that is, is protected at, at all, all costs and one of the means of protecting that is through being um, perhaps you might say judiciously transparent yeah. about, how, uh, about how you communicate. Um, Clearly, good information is critical for good inf- good decisions to be made. So it's important that you've got um, you've got your lines of information gathering within the company working working effectively. And you know, and and I think within that crisis management team, you know, there needs to be a clear accountability for communications within that team because it's uh, it's critical both for within the company and and externally. Um, and I think it's it's critical that you you know don't forget about the stakeholders that are you know outside of what I'd call the core group is you know, suppliers, customers, and employees, but the others are equally um, equally important. So things like the local community, things like government and the media, um, it's important that those are those groups are paid attention to as well because a if you um, if you perform well in terms of how you engage with them, it can actually improve the company's profile and reputation. Conversely, if you, if you don't handle it well, it can create a whole new set of problems for you that will be um, you know just as difficult to deal with. Yes, certainly. So I think I think those are sort of three three key points to to bear in mind. Yeah, um, obviously with. A crisis. There's obviously a lot of information being put out there from a mining company to its in employees, um, and maybe other stakeholders, suppliers, etc. Um, how do you keep people aligned? So, if there was certain um, plans that you put in place and you want people to follow, does everyone follow? Um, how, how do you keep them all aligned and keep them all together and and have that togetherness so everyone's um, working with each other as opposed to not mm. fighting each other but against each other. 
Yeah, well, I, th- I think it highlights that you know that that particularly internal communications is is fundamental, and for the the CEO or the most senior executive in the in the organisation, uh, that that internal communications um, task is is fundamental to their to their leadership role. Um, there'll be other people that can deal with you know the other operational issues and financial issues and other things, but it's critical that you keep um, your workforce and other stakeholders focused and engaged and optimistic and morale as high as, as possible and allaying their sense of insecurity um, at, a, at an uncertain time. I don't think that you can underestimate the importance of those um, of, of that sort of thing. And I think aligned with that is, you know, as we've already touched on, how you set up your um, central crisis committee that makes sure that there's a clear accountability for communications there, that you're uh, doing a good job about gathering the, the latest, most up-to-date information and coordinating it and, as, as appropriate, disseminating it uh, through the, through the organisation. Um, I think that things like internal comms tools like uh, daily updates for, for leaders are uh, vital. Uh, maybe it's more than daily updates when things are moving very rapidly, but you know those, th- those things are very important. Yes, certainly. Um, just leaving the crisis uh, for the moment, um, with internal communications, from your experience, what would you what would you see or what would you say companies need to improve on um, that you've seen? Um, and it might be a common theme amongst many mining companies with their internal mm. communications, mm. what would you say they would need to improve? Mm. Well, one, I think it's very <clears throat> situational. It depends upon, you know, different companies have different, um, very different circumstances. I, I found, for example, in Africa that that the there wasn't the ubiquitous availability of computers and emails, for example. So there needed to be a much, um, much greater reliance upon either printed material going out or word of mouth communications whereas let's say any company in australia um, everybody's going to be connected by devices and so forth so that can be a very effective way of, yeah. of disseminating information um, so it's it's i don't think it's a case of there being a one-size-fits-all type of uh situation i think it's more that um You've got to be very focused on making sure that every single employee in the company is being communicated with, whether it's through word of mouth, you know, from one leader to another being cascaded down through the organisation, or whether it's through, um, um, you know, electronic communications. I would say, though, that I think that while there's a lot of really great electronic communication tools available, there really is nothing quite as effective as people getting a face-to-face briefing with their with their leader. Yeah. And I think that helps to cement the relationship between um, um, operators, for example, and their and their team leader. If they're hearing important information from their team leader, you kind of lose that if everybody gets an instantaneous um text message or email message from the CEO. Yeah. Um, and so I think there is a lot to be said for, um, you know, if you like an older style 
um, cascading of information through the leadership chain in an organisation. Yeah, certainly. I mean, just something I thought of, they could perhaps do a daily briefing via video link where everyone will have access to that video. I suppose like what a prime minister does, sits there and briefs the nation. Uh, A mining CEO could brief their workforce via video um, and, yeah, deliver that information that way, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, I think think if you can do face-to-face or in person, that's great. But the reality is of most mining companies is that they're disseminated over – you know, possibly over continents. And yeah. so I think that things like um, video links and, and things like that are, are an ideal way of people feeling like they're, they're hearing something directly from the boss. Yeah, certainly. Um, in your experience, um, I know that strategic role of communities has its importance. Um, how should this relationship be managed? Hmm. Well, firstly, hopefully there's, you know, there are people within the organisation that have, you know, it's fundamentally their role is to be communicating with, with communities. So it's important to uh, to not forget those people in a time of crisis because many of them, for example, local business owners, even though they may not be a direct supplier to the company, they're going to be concerned about, you know, if people lose their jobs or, or other things like how that's going to affect their business. And so, you know, it's critical that they're kept uh, kept in the loop um, because they're, they're often very important to the, you know, to the engagement of the company in, in the local community. Um, like I said before, though, I think there's often some creative ways where you can provide real assistance to to, to local communities in any number of ways. I mean, mining companies often have, you know, they've got lots of heavy equipment. They've got um, often things like warehouses and stores that yeah. can be utilised. And it's not a matter of just sort of randomly giving away lots of resources, but you may well find that there are uh, facilities that are underutilised that somebody else can make use of in a crisis or, or it might be, you know, Transportation and things like that, vehicles that can be made made available to people that are that are in in um, experiencing the crisis in other ways. Yeah, certainly. I mean, with this obviously with this crisis with the coronavirus, obviously hospitals and medical facilities be would be one mm-hmm. uh, one thing that a comp- a mining company could provide their community uh, with. I suppose, additional services. Is there anything else that you can think of um, that a mining company could help their local communities with? Uh, I mean, for instance, I know, for instance, the Formula One guys, they're trying to um, come up with, a, um, I think, new devices around ventilators, for instance, or designing something. Mm. So mm. An, another mm. industry getting involved um, in helping design, obviously, respiratory systems which are probably in short supply at the moment um is there anything else that you can think of that a mining company could maybe offer their local communities yeah listen listen, i think we're we're kind of in the early days of this crisis and it's not quite clear how all these things are going to play out but for example you know it's possible in some areas that you're going to find that power supply breaks down because of 
you know, maybe people are sick or maybe there's lack of spare parts and that sort of thing. Well, often there are people with those skills within a mining company and yeah. and, and and possibly they can be freed up for um, for some time to assist with um, resolving technical problems in the power supply or water supply or, or, or things like that. It might be that just with the, you know, with... Um, transportation links that you can help to bring in supplies that won't be able to get there otherwise on uh, whether yeah. it's on planes or trucks so you know i think i think each each um, mining company's got its own particular circumstances i think it's important that 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 perhaps the community relations team has got a mandate to think about well how can we best assist the community so that the company's not just looking in internally at its own problems, yeah. but is looking around itself at the at the local community. Because as I say, sometimes in the midst of crisis, even though it's a horrendous situation, you may well find if it's handled well that that some really positive things come out of it in the long run. Yeah, certainly. And I suppose these mining companies will have sort of uh, risk management plans and crisis management plans. So it's not as though they're thinking something up on the spot. They will have mm. these plans in place, although they might not necessarily be the plans that they will execute um, because obviously mm-hmm. each crisis will be different. So I'd imagine they will have a list of rules and plans that some of them they can put in place depending on obviously that crisis. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, listen. I'm sure that every, again, anyone that's been through a, a any sort of crisis before, you realise that the plans often uh, don't quite work in the way that they might in the uh, procedures Real manual or anything. <laughs> yeah. And so there needs to be a certain amount of um, nimbleness and and fleet of foot to work around things that don't work in the way you um, you think that they should. So it's it's again, it's you you can see this in times of war that the plans automatically become complicated once they're put to put in, into action and and a lot of things have to be resolved on the on the fly yeah certainly and um, once to slowly wrap this up now so i've got one more question i'd like to ask you unless i think of any any others whilst there uh, mm. whilst you're answering it um what do you think mining companies will sort of learn um from this crisis and how will they adapt to the new way of working once this sort of crisis has settled down mm-hmm. yeah so I've, I've thought about that a bit in in recent days and i think probably we don't even really know all the things that are likely to change but i do think yeah. that one of those is likely to be i i think our contingency planning and our emergency response plans are, are yeah. going to be thought of differently and i i think particularly things like just-in-time procurement processes, I'm sure for a number of companies that if they've got a single source of supply and and that supply line has been broken, they're finding themselves in in a great deal of uh, a great deal of difficulty. Um, I talked to somebody the other day that was was telling me that um, a control board in the lift in their in their office building had um, had blown up. Wow. And the only place that they can get those from, there's none in Australia. They could only get them from China. And so as a result, there's no lift in the building for the foreseeable future. And I'm sure that's that on a on a bigger scale is is happening in lots of places. So I think that I think there's likely to be a rethinking of procurement and, and supply 
uh, strategies to to make sure that there are multiple lines of yeah. of supply in the future. Um, that's that's one that I can I can uh, I can think of. I, I I think every company is going to sit down and they will have fresh insights into their contingency and, and emergency response plans as a result of this because obviously there's been nothing like this in any of our lifetimes yeah um so it's um it's and, and we're in the early days of it uh so i think time will tell quite uh, quite what the lessons are um but the, there can be no question that that there's going to be a lot of rethinking going on yes. uh, once we get through this yeah certainly um i suppose another um Another, I suppose, good thing that could come out of it is if a mining company has sort of, I suppose, a bit of a damaged reputation with their local community um, and they do something good for that local community because of the crisis and help that help that local community out, um, then mm. I think definitely relationships could be drastically improved um, yes, if they yes, worked yes. with that local community. If there was... Maybe not necessarily damaged relationship, but not a great relationship. That's certainly going to be improved if they sort of step up, step up to the mark and assist where they yeah. need to assist. Um, bringing goodwill, absolutely. Because I, I think the I think there is a very strong parallel between the way that companies operate with their surrounding communities and how we operate just as neighbours in our you know in in the place where we live. Yeah, you know, people remember when things are done. Um, generous things are done for them in a time of crisis. You know, most people don't forget that. And I think however hostile the relationship might be between a mining company and the community, if they see good things being done, you know, in my experience, those things are not forgotten. Yeah. Um, when it's going beyond, listen, sometimes what they need is 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 cash, but more often than not, it's actually some logistical support and some some real engagement helping with whether it's engineers or other people to solve problems and almost always in my experience um um that results in people remember that um yeah. uh, when it's all said and done so yeah. um and you don't even necessarily even have to go out and and make a lot of um, publicity around it. In fact, sometimes the, the most effective way is to do it quietly. Don't make um, go and seek publicity for it, but the people that matter will know about it. Yeah, and it and they will remember it. Yeah, I suppose one thing we can take away from this um, is that everyone needs to work together. Um, and there's obviously yep. people facing many different challenges. No matter whether you're a mining company, no matter whether you're any other kind of company, um, or whether you're in a community, I think it's now's a time where everyone will come together more, hopefully, um, and be more cooperative and help one another out if if they're going through challenging times. So um, yeah. it may bring a lot of people closer together and companies yeah. with their customers and customers, for instance. Yes, that's right. No, I think I think that's very true, and I think uh, often the crises, uh, you know, can bring the best out of people and organisations. Yeah, certainly. Um, really appreciate your time, David, um, for having this uh, uh, this talk and giving you giving us uh, and the audience an overview of what may be 
some people could think about doing, obviously during a crisis. I imagine they are putting certain things in place. Hopefully you might have given a few more ideas as to what they could do to improve their current situations. Um, yep. If our audience wants to sort of contact you or reach out to you and may have some questions that you can potentially answer, um, how could they go about doing that? Yes, well, I've, I've got a website uh, set up and that's probably the best um point of contact that's emergent advisory one word dot com dot au and um my um my contact details are there but um and they could also reach me through um, my email address is david at emergentadvisory.com.au yep and are you on any social media platforms linkedin uh yes i'm on uh, i'm on yep i'm on linkedin um find that david patterson with one t and i'm on twitter as well so you'll you'll find me there my handle there is at a v i d p a t yeah no worries these uh those details should be in the uh show notes accompanying this uh podcast if um if you want to email myself and i can pass uh uh, any messages on to David or questions, uh, my email address is rob at mining-international.org. Um, like I said, really appreciate your time, David, for, for providing your expert advice around crisis management. Um, appreciate if the audience can share this this uh, podcast. I think it's going to benefit a lot of people. Um, people that may have not already subscribed to the podcast might be very interested in this episode and there's certainly some key points to take away from this so appreciate if you can keep sharing this podcast um also visit the website um i've got a website now so it's www.digdeeptheminingpodcast.com so if you can't subscribe to any of the uh um uh, channels that this podcast is hosted on you can go straight to the website and listen to every episode that i've done which is i think approaching 70 now around about 70 so um certainly uh during this downtime there's a there's um certainly got a lot of time to listen to uh, a, a load of content that's been produced uh in this podcast so um yeah keep sharing appreciate guys keep listening all the time and subscribers uh are slowly uh, the numbers are slowly going up, so really appreciate your help. Um, hopefully this crisis will be um, over um, sooner rather than later, but I think we're just at the beginning of it. Um, maybe another maybe another month or two, um, and hopefully things will get back to more normality. So um, all, I, all I end up with this podcast always keep saying is happy mining, um, and we need to keep positive. Um, during these um, difficult times. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. If there are any topics you want discussed or questions you want to ask any guests, then you can email us at rob at mining-international.org or you can follow Rob and Mining International on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube for more content and to have your questions answered. Until next time... Happy mining.